And allowing yourself to hear the bell. Well, there's nothing to do really. The bell will appear in the field of consciousness. And just letting yourself be touched by the sound. It might be agreeable to your ears or not. But it's a phenomena happening just for a moment. And maybe the same interest for the experience of the body as maybe the legs unfold or the body moves and sight is back, you know, allowing uh, this to be known, to be experienced lucidly, consciously. Oh, there is a body now, it's different than the other one that was still. This one is moving now, or this one is touched by light and colors and forms and meaning. You know, there's a different experience. And if you want, also being interested in the quality of the mind. You know, maybe with the bell, when the bell is, is wrong, often there's a change of mood. Huh? Suddenly something is released. You know, I was kind of impatient for it to finish. And boom, or maybe not. Maybe, uh, maybe something tenses. You know, oh, it was so good and now back in life. You know, so notice how this this play, you know, just a bell, just a bell, but suddenly it might create something inside of us. Certainly it created movement for many of us, you know, <laughs> heard the bell, boing, the eyes open, the body moves, you know. Uh, so if you want to play with this, we're in, inviting now at this mindfulness, this, um, this careful, maybe generous, non-judging attention, non-demanding, expecting attention. We're inviting it in kind of two different fields. It's a little arbitrary, you know, because there's so much in communication, but for the sake of investigation, of exploration, of, uh, of uh, curiosity, we say that there's two field, fields that we can become interested in today. The field of the body, you know, I mentioned it yesterday several times, I think, posture, awareness of posture, you know, the four classic postures, you know, of sitting, walking, standing, or lying down, and the Buddha saying, hey, be aware of this, bring your attention to that field of the experiences of the body and its posture, and its activities, and its, uh, you know, at the sense doors, I'll put it in there here. You know, the experiences of hearing, of seeing, of cold, heat, hardness, softness, you know, materiality. So playing in that field, bringing the awareness in that field of physicality, materiality, what can be noticed, what can be felt? You know, here today in Montreal, I don't know in your neighborhood if you're in Montreal, but there's a lot of wind. And so my window is a little open. So as we were sitting, there was this constant... Uh, or recurring, regular expression of materiality, of physicality. And if I follow the Buddha's instruction, 
I'm allowed to experience it fully. The wind blowing in the trees, you know, coming and going. So my practice is to go either rest in there, in there or be refreshed in there or discover this, notice it. And then the other field is the field of the mood, mind, mind states. There is one right now happening to you. And often we're not aware of it or under its spell, you know. Do you recognize something in there? Like I can even, you know, sometimes we can even know this externally. We can know the mood of somebody else by their body language or their, you know. And there's ways, you know, that, you know, sometimes we look, ah, somebody's listening. I can see what's happening in their mind is they're tuning in, you know. And sometimes we see somebody's like tuning out, of course, very natural. <laughs> and so we can, in our practice, become aware of the presently arisen mood, quality, mind state. Uh, I don't know what other words would work for you, emotion, you know. Sometimes it's intense, overwhelming. Sometimes it's very subtle little quality, you know. Uh, sometimes we listen with goodwill, like uh, there's a general wanting to understand, wanting things to go well. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I notice, you know, in my mind there's this little ill will, this little, uh, yeah, like I'm listening, looking for trouble, you know, or looking for something to feel disdain about or disgust or having an opinion about you know i'm listening like in my mind is like kind of like the, 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 the ears become a radar for what i don't like about this <laughs> and sometimes my senses become uh, radars for greed i'm looking for something to attach to you know to grasp onto or cling to and sometimes my mind is not like this you know, it's different. It's just receiving uh, kind of almost neutrally, naturally. Uh, there's not much to say about it. But there's always a mood. There's always some kind of quality at play. If we don't notice it, others will. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and so it's good for us to know. And that's like the luck that we have is we're practicing mindfulness. Because if we were practicing, not, not practicing mindfulness, we would be in trouble because we, there's many things we're going to discover about moods and you know, states of mind and attitudes. But because we do it with mindfulness, it means we're never going to judge the, the state of the mind. We're just going to become sensitive, conscious of it. Ah, this mind is grumpy. Oh, there's a lot of fear in this mind right now. This mind is worried. Oh, this mind is contracted. Oh, this mind is decontracted. Does that exist in English? Open, let's say open. Ah. And so the Buddha in his instructions around mind state, qualities of mind, the instructions are so simple. So, so, so simple. When the mind is open, know the mind is open. When the mind is contracted, know the mind is contracted. When the mind is fearful, know the mind is fearful or heart. You know, when the heart is light or spacious or in a good mood, 
know the mind is in a good mood, you know? When the mind is in a bad mood, it shouldn't happen. No, not in mindfulness. When the mind is in a bad mood or the heart is in a bad mood, noticing, oh, the heart is in a bad mood. And so today we have the chance to explore this, these two fields, the field of the physical experience, the material experience, stepping, stepping, hearing, floor cracking, stopping, thirst, hunger, hardness, itchiness, hardness, softness, smoothness. So we can notice this as it, uh, the different texture of the material experience. And if we want, become in, interested in the inner landscape or texture. It's a whole different field. Huh? And they're so connected because if I'm angry, heartbeat, jaw, tight, maybe uh, heat in the face, you know? If there's joy, I might feel a little lighter, you know, bubbly in the biology. You know? And so we can maybe become interested and sometimes there's nothing apparent. Okay, nothing apparent, it's quite something because sometimes it's very apparent that there's something happening. So, you know, we can, tune in and notice that there's nothing apparent in terms of mind state or mood or emotions. There's nothing that apparent. Well, that's quite something. It can be known just as it is. And wait a few seconds or minutes <laughs> and then an opinion will barge in about something happening on the street or in the apartment or not happening. You know, that should happen inside or outside. And then you say, oh, switch of mood, you know, suddenly <clears throat> resistance, aversion, desire, etc. So another way to talk about what uh, we're invited to explore today, um, and again, see if it makes sense to you, but that's the way I see it functioning for me often especially if there's an afflictive emotion. So what is our usual relationship to an afflictive emotion? For me, I can see two tendencies. So if there's an afflictive emotion, like discouragement, uh, if my mind, heart, if I feel dejected, one tendency for me is to be under the spell of that emotion to live in it and feed it unknowingly maybe, produce thoughts about it, kind of be fascinated by it, being engrossed, engaged in it, living in that world. So that's one tendency is I live it, I live in it, I'm under the spell, I'm duped, I'm fooled into it, I embrace it in some unconscious way. You know, of course, of course it's so poignant, so, you know, vortex-like often, you know, it brings you in, come in here, I'll tell you, you're, you're a little discouraged, let me tell you about the rest of your life and you'll be discouraged for some good reasons. You know, so the thoughts, you know, are affected by the slight discouragement that is there and will produce more of it. It's natural that it would. 
the other kind of relationship I have with uh, dejection, discouragement, or any afflictive emotion, often is I recognize them and I don't want to feel this. I don't want to feel shame. I don't want to feel fear. I don't want to feel worry. And so I debate with it, you know, don't, don't talk to me like this. I'm worthy of something. Stop telling me I'm unworthy. You know, and there's this battle, struggle going on. Go away, go away. You know, I can't feel you anymore. That's enough. You know? And so there's a debate. It's, it uses a lot of energy. It's exhausting. Enough and I don't get to win, you know. And then this is what we call the middle path here. That we're, it's, it's not the path. It's, it's a tight rope. It's not easy, but possible. We can train ourselves to walk on that fine line of recognizing, recognizing, oh, discouraged. Oh, there's discouragement here now. Bringing interest to it. How does it feel? Oh, it's so different in the body. It feels, I'll use my words, you know, sometimes it's not words, words won't, but still we're trying to communicate here. But sometimes for me, afflictive emotion will either they often feel kind of, um, I'm almost fearful to say it, you know, because as if I was going to invoke it, but not, you know, but sometimes some afflictive emotion, many afflictive emotions feel like hollow, like uh, abyss-like, even in the body felt way, like if I, almost if, you know, the things have been taken out, you know, that there's, there was kind of nothing but a big, whole you know sometimes it's more kind of acid like as acid sometimes it's contraction more sometimes it's uh, feels more tense and paralyzed you know some emotion i can feel you know my body loses its kind of flexibility so does my mind you know like become rigid psycho rigid in some ways you know and physically also rigid and so in this practice, not easy, but instead of being taken for a ride by discouragement to use that one today, or be, be instead of rejecting it, I bring interest. Oh, look at that. Human beings feel that sometimes, universality of the experience. Human beings feel dejection sometimes. Wow, how does that feel? So bringing interest, and it could be joy, you know, it could be not afflictive emotion, but beautiful emotion of gratitude or joy or contentment or calm or tranquility. You know, there's so many of these beautiful mind states. Same thing. Oh, look at that. You know, gratitude. What, what is it that I call gratitude? These questions are answered by silent listening, feeling. Because you know? I could be taken for a ride on gratitude, you know. Oh my God, my life has been amazing, and everybody's always helped me, and oh, you know, and I could spin <laughs> and end up exhausted, <laughs> you know. But there's a delicate way to actually encounter, you know, whatever is there. It could be playfulness, oh, playfulness, something bubbly in there. Let me feel this. So bringing, if you want, 
interest to mind states. Emotions. And I don't know if you see, but when we're on that little tight rope of, uh, you know, that, that third way of relating to emotion with mindfulness, with care, with interest, um, yeah, to me, the revolution is there because what I've noticed in myself and others is that when we do this in time, what we'll see is that afflictive emotion uh, met like this, will there will be some kind of um, alchemy or it will become a portal. And what will be nourished then will be tenderness care, stability, courage. It's quite remarkable. I don't know how, you know, it makes sense to me that dejection would lead to more dejection, you know, hopelessness to more hopelessness. But it's intriguing to me that hopelessness could lead to tenderness. One of our siblings, Zenju uh, Earthling Manuel talks about this so, so well in her book, uh, The Way of Tenderness. You know, what's the subtitle? How, how to meet sexism, racism, maybe homophobia, uh, with wisdom, something like this. So she's talking in her own way, in her own way about, in her own powerful, beautiful, wise way about how this alchemy might work. It's very intriguing, impossible. That's what we call freedom, liberation, unconditional freedom. So it's delicate work. It's not easy. If you try to do it, that you fall on the side, this side or that side, it would make total sense. It would be very natural. We're talking about practice uh, over uh, a few years. And unfortunately, I have to report that this is slow practice <laughs> in times where everything is quick and <laughs> quick fix, you know? This, this is not, but it's powerful and it can be powerful from the get-go, but usually we make slow progression. Jusque is saying the title of uh, Zenju Earthling Manuel's book is Awakening Through Race, Sexuality, and Gender, The Way of Tenderness. Yeah. And so what we're talking about here, and I'll finish with this, is the relationship we have with uh, anything, really. That's one way to talk about practice, is the relationship we have with body, with mind, with emotions, with afflictive emotions, with thoughts. And today we're trying to see, you know, what is possible in the relationship with the body. What is possible uh, in the relationship with moods and mind. You know, can we be awake, aware of them? Not so much following them, 
but knowing them, being curious about their existence, you know, recognizing them. Does it make sense to you a bit? You know? And today, life being generous, there will be plenty of materiality, no doubt. It's unavoidable. And there will be also plenty of moods and mind states, you know, there will be. You know, it's so changing. We're so kind of sensitive or porous. Like one slight idea crosses the mind, one one impression of the mind, and suddenly, whoops, it changes the mood, you know. Or you see something, there's a contact with the eye, and you see something, and suddenly, boom, the mind grasps or pushes away or rejoices or feels relief, you know. We're so incredibly sensitive, and the practice of the retreat is to become aware of how, how, how it is to be a human being, how touched we are all the time, you know. And we never know how, you know, like now I'm talking with my soft voice and this and that, and it could be soothing for you. It has an effect of soothing or really irritating. <laughs> you could be there like, is he gonna shut up with his <laughs> tender voice? <laughs> and it's, it's that intriguing, you know, that we don't know. How, like, it's so intriguing how we're touched by things. We can't ex exactly plan, decide, or it's not like one way for everyone, you know? So, okay. So very, very, very simply, you know, uh, we talked yesterday about, uh, you know, sensory awareness. If you don't want to talk, think body, because sometimes with the word body, there's a lot of, you know, judgment and this really difficult relationship that we might have with the body it would make sense, you know. So maybe I'd like to say, not, not talk about the body, but uh, sensory awareness. You know, it's, I don't know how it works for you in your mind when I say this, but for me, suddenly it's more like a river of sensations and feelings and, and things, you know, the breath appears, disappears, tingling in the toes, you know. If I think body, I have more of a solid idea, you know, and it's a complex relationship. But sensory awareness is a river of ex physical experiences. You know, sometimes it's hearing, and then hearing disappears because there's, you know, scratching or itching, you know, that comes to the foreground. So I think of it as more of a river, of the river of physical experience. So paying attention to this. In the walking, perfect you know maybe when we sit uh, still you know there's more uh, seems maybe more hardness and stillness and solidity but as we walk you know there's movement there's like the feet what is the experience of feet as you're walking it's an experience of hardness and some suddenly an experience of lift and an experience maybe of pushing and landing and maybe at the beginning it's soft as the feet land on the ground and suddenly it becomes hard. You know, it's very, very river-like. River and so today we're invited to bring attention to this. And the hearing and the seeing, even at lunch and stuff, breakfast maybe for some of you, in the, in the tasting, you know, tastes appear and disappear. 
sights appear and disappear. So we can bring awareness to that field and then maybe be intrigued in the state of the meditator, the retreatant. What is the current immediate state of mind? And something sometimes a little like kind of slight ordinary miracle is when we become, when we pay attention to the mind state, like when we ask this question, what is the attitude? What is the, what is the mind state of the inner landscape like? There's something that kicks in mindfulness that has something wholesome to it. You know, we go from being lost in thoughts and agitated to being conscious. And, you know, there's a change right there that is possible in just becoming interested in the mood. There's a waking up. Oh my God, I've been, you know, caught in habitual thinking and now I'm awake. There's a slight switch that happens sometimes when we pay attention to mood. Notice if that's true for you or when it is. And now, um, for some of us, maybe it's a good time to do some walking. Maybe if you're on the West Coast, you can afford some walking meditation, or maybe you're really starving now. You really want to bring your investigation towards, you know, toasting, toasts and jam, you know, and that's where you want to put your, you know, all your mindfulness in the appearance and disappearance of tastes and smells. So see what's uh, right for you. Uh, so is it the walking now? The, but whatever we do, let's commit to doing it with a little bit more slowly than usual, you know, to get out of habit. That's the only reason, just to get out. And so we can notice a little bit more, increase the noticing per minute as Joseph Goldstein puts it, you know, notice a little bit more. If you slow down, we're going to notice the unfolding of the body as it raises or the coldness of the doorknob as we open the door of the room, you know? So let's do this. And for me, um, I'm very, very clear that when we all commit to it, to the extent that is possible for us, it uh, really invigorates my practice. Even if I close the top of the, you know, the screen of the computer, if I go and I know that we're doing this, like it gives me power, it gives me energy to do it. Because otherwise, you know, it's much easier to just go back to habit, you know, mindlessness. But knowing that others are doing it too is very powerful. We call it Sangha, it's a gem, community. And we create community together. And community is not a given, it's something offered, you know? So we offer this to each other, okay? And we'll find uh, each other back in an hour and 50 minutes uh, after probably some kind of a meal at some point. And we'll practice together and do a Q&A with uh, Anushka. Thank you very much for the care you put into your practice today, not forcing, not abandoning.